Welcome back to the Creative Club podcast. You're here with John Marsh. And if you're a coach or creative business owner, this is your show to learn the key skills you need to attract dream clients, grow your business and build confidence. Today on the show, I have a longer conversation with Mark Warman. I've known Mark for probably 18 months or so now. Mark is the founder and creator behind Barnfield Customs. He's developing these beautiful uh, jackets and is also building that brand around hand-built or custom motorcycle community. Mark has also uh, built a digital agency in Bahrain. So in this conversation, he shares some of that story, how he built the agency, what he learned from those times, and how he's bringing that knowledge and experience forward into building out this new brand. He also talks about that journey and a lot about the motorcycles, the creativity, some of the challenges he faces, and what the future looks like. It's a really cool conversation. I learned a lot from Mark. I hope you enjoy this one. Let's jump into the podcast you're here with John Marsh, and this is the Creative Club Podcast. Barnfield is all about, from a selfish point of view, is about surrounding myself with people that that are creative, that are inspiring, um, and on the other side of things is is creating like a platform that that benefits me, but also that benefits them. That I can get to a place where I can speak to a, an artist. I'm speaking for this first jacket. I'm speaking with uh, Thomas Moore. He's a he's an artist, a you know pen and pencil artist, and just does beautiful work. With just um, there's very little line drawing. It's just dots. And if you check out his work, he's um, he's at Last Maps on Instagram. All right. And if you mm-hmm. check out his work, he's done this incredible piece, the incredibly detailed piece of the moon, um, and it's just super photorealistic. And you'd almost imagine it was a computer because it's just you know. But he's just there, just you know, dot. And just that that patience there and that's the sort of thing that so he's going to do a piece of work for the lining of the first jacket mm. and the idea is that i'm going to do a limited edition of 300 jackets maximum that's the you know the the, the most that we're going to create for this first jacket um uh, and the lining will be unique to every single jacket so it'll be printed on a roll of fabric so it's a meter and a half wide and just as long as you want it to be. So mm-hmm. say, for instance, I may, I may sell 300 jackets, I may sell 20. Mm-hmm. But however many jackets I sell, the piece of art will stretch for the amount of lining required. So say, mm-hmm. for instance, there's two meters of lining required for one jacket, and we, make, we, we sell 50 jackets, so we need 100 meters of fabric. That piece of art will be 100 meters long, and then it'll be cut up for each jacket. So when, you, when you're then wearing that jacket, you know that you have a completely unique piece, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's part of a larger community. Mm-hmm. So you see someone walking down the road and they're wearing a Barnfield jacket, you recognize it. It's not going to be like, oh, hey, check out that, that guy's wearing a similar jacket. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to go and speak to that person. Mm-hmm. Because if you're, if you're wearing jacket number six and they're wearing jacket number seven, they're actually going to line up. So, you know, so there's the kind of community runs through the whole thing and for me that's also why i started building the motorbikes as well because i've i mean i've skateboarded since i was nine uh you know i'm 40 now so that's over 30 years of skating and i've been involved with the industry there as well and you can sniff out a brand 
trying to be a skate brand who isn't actually part of that community. You know, you can see it a mile off. And so I knew creating Barnfield, I wanted to be speaking to a community of builders, of makers, you know, and, and it was all around the custom motorcycle scene. Um, and so that's why I started to build the motorbikes as well. So I could be at the center of that community rather than trying to be outside it, speaking mm -hmm. in. Mm -hmm. um, and that was another process as well. So I could show the process of building the motorbike. Um, and rather than just being like, okay, today I, you know, I, I replaced the exhaust or I learned about how to open up the carburetors and, and, and tune them. Um, I went through and posted, this is how much it cost. This is how difficult it was, you know, so I can really bring people in and, and share that story with them. And I think that, that the process is a really important part of that. Um, at the same time, there is an element of kind of hiding in the spotlight. So I can put all of this process out in front of me without actually speaking to the camera, without putting my face to it. Um, I think that's my next step is to have the confidence to say, you know, at the moment I'm using the brand almost like a shield, almost like as, as a lectern. You know, when you're, when you're up on stage and you're speaking and you've got that lectern in front of you, it gives you that confidence. Mm -hmm. I feel like I need to kind of step out from behind the lectern and be like, yeah, I am Barnfield and this is, this, this is what I'm doing mm -hmm. uh, to really bring people in. So you, I just want to break down as many barriers as I possibly mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is, again, that's, that's about another element of telling your story. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Uh, there's so much good stuff in there. The, the, uh, when you, when you said, you know, from the very beginning, building it around community versus carving your own path. Uh, I made a mental note on that because it's interesting, you know, I think it's almost a full circle because when you're part of, you know, I remember being in, in my engineering job and kind of being in this, thing and it was not carving my own path. I was under this banner of the the company that I work for, then left that and went into small business. And you do get this feeling, okay, I'm out here now and I'm I'm carving my own path and I'm doing this thing that I want to do. And what I kind of felt when you said that was like, that's great. And then the iteration of that is as you build out that world and you connect with other businesses, you connect with other people. Um which we do, you know, it's been a big part of the work we do also, but I haven't thought, I hadn't thought about it that way in terms of, you know, actually zagging away from the carving your own path thing and looking at others who are carving their path to coming together around community in that sense. It was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's the whole thing. I mean, I, I created this 21 point manifesto for Barnfield as well, which is really how I view the world and how I want the brand to exist in the world. Um, and part of that is, I believe it's an African proverb, which is, you know, if you want to go, um, fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I'm not seeing this as a, a flash in the pan thing. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no way that I'm going to make a, you know, make a, a profit or even a living off the first set of jackets that I create. This is, this is a, this, you know, this is a long form process, especially because it, 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 it's the brand is kind of the antithesis to your kind of um, fast fashion. You know, it is, it is slow, like doing mm -hmm. a maximum of 300 jackets um, mm -hmm. and then 
I mean, so far it's taken me three years to get to the point that I'm at with the jacket and I'm still not finished. And that's not me being a perfectionist. Uh, you know, I do have those tendencies to, to want it to be exactly perfect before it goes out. But I have enough experience to understand that there is no such thing as perfect. Mm. You know, like what, what I might consider perfect, someone else is going to see an issue with, especially with something with a piece of clothing, like a jacket, which is quite structured. You know, it's going to fit a certain body type. Mm-hmm. And so it will be perfect to a certain body type and to someone else, like, um, you know, if you're a bodybuilder, it's not going to fit you. It's, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's, it's made for a, for a more slim fit. You're going to need to have something more, more customized. And that long, long term, I'd love to be able to do that. Um, but as of now, I kind of have to kind of stay in that lane. Um, and again, coming back to the, the community side of things, the more people that I can get feedback from, the better that jacket can be as well. And the more likely it can, it can be fit, fit for purpose. Mm. Did you, this, I want to come back to this manifesto because I'd love to hear more yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, my first question though, did you have this level of patience when you were in your previous business with the agency that you guys built? No. But, but then that was different. <laughs> that was different, right? So when I, when I started my agency, I was 23. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I'd, I'd come out of university and uh, the UK was going through a, you know, a recession uh, or I was on the verge of a recession. So finding work as a, as a freelance designer at the time was, was, was tough, you know? And, and, and now, you know, once I'd been running my, experience, my agency for a few years, I understood why I wasn't getting jobs because it's very tough to, to allow someone in, especially if you're a small business. Mm. Um, you know, if you're four, five, six people, every single person that you bring into your business has such a huge impact as a, mm. as a percentage of the, the, the people there. Um, and also, if you aren't experienced, well, then you need the training. And again, if you're a small business, everyone's working at over 100% uh, capacity. Um, and that also, you know, we can touch on that uh, with the agency as well, because well, by the time I, I ran that, I'm very open as to the reason I'm not, no longer running the agency is because I, I fully hit burnout um, and it wasn't um, reasonable for me, for, for me to continue if I wanted to have a healthy life. Um, but no, I didn't have that level of patience. But then again, I didn't have the experience to understand otherwise. You know, yes, I did a manifesto for, for my agency, but that was 10 years into running it. At the beginning, it was just, just get the work in the door, say yes to everything. Mm. Um, uh, um, Yeah, go on. I was going to say, let's just for the listeners, let's tie this together with a, just a quick timeline so that people can, and it also will help me, I think uh, just where, where the agency, what, what the work you did and how long that ran for before into the Barnfield stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I, um, I was born in, in Bahrain over in the Middle East near Saudi Arabia. Uh, and that's where I grew up. My dad worked for, for Gulf Air over there. So I was there until I was 16. Then I came back to the UK for education and employment. And I was here for 10 years. But I always used to go back to Bahrain to, to visit, to go on holiday. And it was on when I just graduated, which was 2000 and oh, 2000. Five, I think maybe 2003 um, I went out to Bahrain on holiday and met my now wife 
Amy over there. She was she was five years younger than me. So we didn't know each other at school, even though it's a tiny island. It's, it's only a um, population of 1.4 million. So it's a very small place. Um, but yeah, so but she's from Melbourne uh, and I'm from the UK. And so the first year we did long distance, which was an 11 hour time difference. So just as I was getting up, she was just going to bed and all that sort of stuff. And then she came over, she did uh, an exchange. She was at uh, Melbourne Uni and she did uh, an exchange year to Nottingham University. So we we're able to do that. And after that year, it was kind of like, okay, now what? Like, do I move 24 hours away from my family or does she move 24 hours away from hers? Mm. So we decided her dad was still in Bahrain at the time. So we decided to go over there and give it a shot to set up. Uh, I was doing the freelance. I was doing freelance design, finding it tough. Took, took on some web work, but it was very uh, kind of hit and miss. And so thought we may as well go to Bahrain and give it a shot over there, setting up an agency. And initially, I mean, I just set up as I was just as a freelance designer. Um, but I got an opportunity within the first year of being there. I got an opportunity. I went in for a job for a web design job. Um, and I was there, you know, 20, 20, 23 year old, really quite nervous, you know, surrounded by, uh, you know, sort of the board of directors to, to present what I was, uh, what I could and couldn't do for them and to be interviewed for the process. Um, and they said, okay, we need a website with a content management system. We need it to be bilingual, English, uh, and Arabic. Can you do that for us? And I said, yep, no problem at all. Of course, I can have that in view. I'll, I'll get a proposal over to you by the end of the week. Drove home straight onto the internet. What is a CMS? Uh, and how do you make it bilingual, especially with English and Arabic? Mm -hmm. You need it to read right to left for Arabic instead of left to right. So, so yeah, I said, yes, I can do that. Put the proposal in got the job off the proposal and then I think it was six weeks of three or four hours of sleep a night just to get that job done and it was just it was just this this persistent process of, of, of just keep going one because I committed to say I was going to do it um, and the last thing I wanted to do was to have a, a bad reputation as soon as I started and two I think it's this thing that I've learned from skateboarding is that you know if you, you, sure when you first start you can't kickflip but you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying and eventually you get that consistency. And it doesn't matter how many times you fall over, you get back up again. And I think that, that is something that stuck with me uh, with business. But then, so I, uh, you know, like uh, that then grew out. I got some, I got some other opportunities. We ended up working. Um, we ended up pivoting over to, to, to being very digitally based. So 2008, we started doing social media marketing when Facebook started opening up. Um, and then ended up working for Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen, a lot of the government entities. We were doing a lot of the, um, the there was a festival every year called the Spring of Culture. Did that four years running, worked for the Ministry of Culture. So, yeah, so that really grew out and it was and it became social media, email marketing websites. Um, did that for 10 years, then kind of started. I, I started switching over to one of the things I realized is that we could help people out with their marketing, but unless the company itself was thinking digital and how to use digital to their advantage, um, it was just kind of forgotten about and no one was really looking at it. So I kind of created, um, moved over to digital transformation to help organizations really integrate digital. And, and really that was from a, from a customer experience focus. How can you use digital to be better at providing a better customer experience, which in turn improves sales and looking at like, KPIs, 
making sure that people's key performance indicators were based around customer experience mm -hmm. and then helping them to integrate digital. Mm -hmm. But that is that, was, in, is that including like user experience and the actual platform design, or is it more just on the 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 third party platforms and social and things of that nature? Well, I mean, it was it was user experience, but really, I would be looking at say, for instance, like the the sales department. If mm -hmm. say if the sales department didn't have uh, a positive customer experience within the, their their key performance indicators, they wouldn't even think about it. Yeah. You know, they'd just be they'd just be looking at the figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So really taking it back to that foundation. Like, and this is it, this is a lot of people think digital and they think websites, they think mm -hmm. email and all that sort of stuff. But that that's all the easy part. Like, you know, there are so many fantastic platforms out there. You can put a website up on Squarespace within an hour. Um, you know, if you don't have much money, you can use card, which is like 19 bucks for the year for a single page website. And it's all so easy. So the, the technology is the easy part. It's getting people to, to think customer experience first, and then how do you use that technology to improve that customer experience? Mm. Um, and I think that that's where so many businesses um, come up against it. I mean, digital is, is, is tough full stop because it's so big. You can, you can have an amazing social media presence, but then as we were talking about, if Instagram suddenly changes its algorithm, and then, you know, you're, you're, you're busy. if your business is based on that, you're in trouble. So, you know, you need to be looking at it as, as, as a whole ecosystem. Um, I mean, you can see when I'm talking about this stuff, I, you know, like I did run the agency, I don't run it anymore, but I totally believe in it um, and, and, and how it can help. But it was, yeah, so it was by the time we'd been running the agency. So I say we, because I set it up and then five years into running it, my wife, Amy, came over and started working with me as well. Um, and the difficulty with that, which uh, you may already be aware of this, but as, as fair warning to you, if, if you guys are working together, the problem is you never switch off. Yeah. There's the, well, there's, there's two problems. One, you never switch off. So you, you come back, you, you're working together, you come back, you're having dinner together, you're talking about work. And then when one person has a bit of downtime, if you're not careful, the other person still has stuff to do, which you may be part of that bottleneck. So you're constantly talking about it. So you never feel like there's any downtime. If you then go away on holiday, well, there's two people, senior management have just gone out of the, the business. Mm -hmm. So we may have gone on holiday, but we never, you know, never turned off, never really refreshed. Um, and then it got to the point where it's super, super cliche, but we really were victims of our own success because we did very well as the agency. We got a great reputation for creating quality work um, and taking a lot of the thought process out of it for clients mm -hmm. so we would remind them you've got this coming up make sure we've got the information to be able to to promote that um, yes have you thought about this have you thought about that so you take a lot of the thought process out of it for the clients um, and become you know a really important part of their team whilst being separate but uh, yeah so the problem with that is that we, we we grew and i had never I take a lot I take on board a lot of it myself because I had never identified what enough was, whether that's enough business, whether that's enough money. And it was never from a personal point of view, like I need to hoard loads of money. It was more every time I employ someone, the last thing I just couldn't get on board with the idea of having to let that person go a couple of months later if I hadn't done enough to secure enough work to pay their salaries and keep them going. So it was just this constant hamster wheel of, of, of more, 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 more. And that eventually just led to 
you know, like I ended up having, um, I was hooked up on a heart monitor for 48 hours because um, my heart was basically, it was slowing down and then it wasn't pumping the, the blood through the chambers in the right order. So it would kind of pull blood into my heart, then it would almost stop. And then, the, then I would get this huge adrenaline rush as mm -hmm. my body went, you've got too much blood in your heart. They would pump all the blood out of my heart. Then this huge adrenaline rush, which would take my breath away. I think at the end of the day, I, I, I suspect they were probably panic attacks because it just got to that point where I was just so mentally overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And of course, nothing's going to make you panic more than your heart stopping mm -hmm. and a huge adrenaline rushes. So again, it was, it was you know, this, this kind of downward spiral, you know, that stomach ulcers, like, uh, like uh, pressure, headaches, all sorts of stuff. And just from, just from, from being under that immense kind of, mm. kind of stress. Can I just um, ask at that time when you felt those, when those things were happening to the body, were you still in, in, when you take yourself back into your mind at the time, were you still like, like thriving on the work? Was it still a feeling of like, you know, full fulfillment and engagement with the work, like wanting to work, wanting to get it? Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, totally. Because I, I East, uh, sorry, the agency was called uh, East, uh, East Innovation. So East had become, it had become my legacy. Like I want, or I wanted it to become a legacy. Like I, I it, it had become this thing where I was just like, hey, I'm a successful agency owner. Oh, and by the way, my name's Mark. You know, it had become me. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I was thriving on it. Like, uh, you know, the doctor, after that 48 hours of, of, of being on the, the, the heart rate monitor and getting those results, going in to see the doctor, and he was like, look, I think this is just stress. And it's like, okay, cool. It's just stress back to normal. And keep I just going. get back into the agency and just, just keep going. It's just stress. Mm. It's fine. Um, it's only, it's only with that kind of like hindsight, you can look back and just mm. be like, you know, you were just digging yourself further and further into a, into a hole. Um, as it happened, I'm one of those people who I do believe that everything happens for a reason. Now, not just completely fatalistic. Like I think everything happens for a reason. And you need to take action to move it positively forwards. Mm -hmm. um, but had I not gotten to that point with the with the burnout, um, and just to just to put on top of that, uh, you know, like yes, I could have employed more people, but the difficulty, you know, that would have helped spread the load a little bit more. But the difficulty again with Bahrain being such a tiny population is that there weren't that many people to employ. We were incredibly lucky with who we did find. Mm -hmm. um, and the team was something that I was most stoked on. You know, the, the work was kind of, the work was, was, was great. Again, being able to say, yeah, we worked for Porsche and Audi and all that sort of stuff is, is fantastic. But it was creating this team, helping, them, helping create opportunities for them. Um, and then again, being surrounded by people that I wanted to be surrounded by, which is what I've kind of brought forward. So I've kind of taken that part of what I learned from running the agency and brought that forwards into now uh, Barnfield. Very cool. And so was that when that, the heart incident, is that kind of leading you into the exit? Like, okay, this is, this is too much. Or did you guys, did you run for a little longer? Yeah, totally. I think maybe another four <laughs> years, another, yeah. another four years after that, maybe five years, you know, that was quite early on. Okay. Um, 
uh, in the process. I mean, the other thing that we had going on being in, in, in Bahrain, 2011 was the Arab Spring. Uh, and Bahrain definitely got um, you know, caught up in that. Uh, and so I had at that point been building the agency for four years uh, and I was stoked on where things were going and I was trying to put in, in, in place plans for the future. And then suddenly you had this situation where you had um, you know, the military rolling over from Saudi Arabia over the causeway into Bahrain. Mm. And you had um, that militia on the street. Like it was, it was a crazy time because Bahrain is a chilled little island. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it has, it, you know, it has historically, it has its issues for sure. Um, but generally, you know, it is, it is um, in, in some ways quite a relaxed place to see the military on the streets mm. um, uh, and, and the craziness with that. We, we actually, uh, my wife was still working for another company at the time, uh, an insurance broker. They actually evacuated, evacuated us out of Bahrain at the time because it got really, really sketchy. So that was, that, that was I would say that was probably the, the beginning of me finding that I had, they didn't have the tools to deal with stress and anxiety. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of learning uh, that needed to happen there. I was doing, um, I was doing jujitsu then. I did jujitsu for six years and I, I loved it. But, and it was, was kind of in some ways, I, I saw it as my release. But at the same time, uh, it's, so, it's such a physical stress mm. that, um, and being, being as, as, as kind of like a mental game as it is as well, that kind of like human chess idea, I was, it was just another uh, kind of layer of stress for me. Um, and so I, I needed to find the tools to be able to de-stress that weren't physical as well. Um, and so again, you know, you, you learn from all these situations, but no, the heart incident definitely wasn't the beginning of the end. Uh, it was, that was very much in, in the middle and, and things definitely ramped up more, uh, from there. It wasn't until we actually got to a place where, um, one of our members of staff, uh, wanted to move back to the UK to be closer to family. Uh, and she was really pivotal to the, cause we were only an agency of six by the time we finished with we six full-time and then we had uh, you know freelancers around us um but yeah she was she was really pivotal um and then a week after she said that she was leaving another member of staff who was also um incredibly important to the business also said that they wanted to leave head to the uk and kind of uh, do their own thing um and i only ever wanted to support people doing what they wanted to do so at no point did I feel any kind of animosity towards them doing that, but it did make us go from a team of six to a team of four uh, with no immediate ability to hire new people because we always hired the culture fit and then um, brought them along for the ride and, and trained and taught mm -hmm. them and created opportunities. So even if we had brought someone on to fill those places, it would have taken us taking on more work, uh, yeah. Amy and I, to be able to fulfill those roles. And so that was... Uh, when the, when Laura first said she was leaving, that this was the, the, the first, uh, one of the managers that was leaving, we were kind of like, Oh, that, you know, that made us think, shall we, what should we do? Do we bring the agency to a close? We, you know, we've both been under a huge amount of stress. We've been thinking about this for a while and we just got to the place where we were like, no, I think we should carry on when Sana, the second, uh, employee said that she was leaving. And that really just kind of cemented it for us. Mm -hmm. We were like, okay, this, this is the, this is 
And when I say everything happens for a reason, this is our sign. You know, yeah. this is our sign to make a change. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, it was, you know, I still carried on for a couple of years doing, doing the consultancy after that. You know, I definitely don't. Another thing that I find with podcasts and, and, and blogs is that it almost sounds like this very linear process. Mm. Um, and yeah, people need it's to understand that this. It's so messy. Yeah. It's so messy. I'm still doing, I'm still doing some work for, for East now. I've still got legacy uh, maintenance contracts and stuff like that with clients that I really enjoy working with. Mm-hmm. So I'm still doing that now. Uh, you know, there's, there's not this clear no. cut change. No, we had the same. I mean, the gym that we owned in Melbourne by comparison would have been a very small business, but even that, when we went to exit, we decided to move up to uh, out of Melbourne and up to Newcastle where we are now, I think from when we first, we listed it originally, uh, which did not work out in the end, but when, between when we first listed it with the broker through to actually having a finalized sale and us being able to move away, I think was, 18 months. Right. It's just, co- just a constant mess. Yeah. Um, not yeah. for anyone, no, no fault of anyone, but you know, sure. we were disorganized buyers fall through It is just constant. Um, yeah. And you forget about that, you know, but at the time it's quite stressful because you have one foot in, you've got a lot of responsibility. Yeah. You've got a full role and yeah. yet mentally you've decided, you know, the next 10 years I want to be somewhere else or the future looks different. Yeah. And, um, you kind of got to just, persevere you know like you talked about that skateboarding huh yeah yeah just got to keep picking yourself up and and that's where i think that like so so moving on from running the agency turning it into a consultancy and then i started looking into one of the main things that i picked up on that i didn't get for my work like i started my agency as a designer and Mm -hmm. then ended up being a manager uh, and managing people and, and, and relationships and so and one of the things with with digital and and social especially is that we could work we could work for two days on getting exactly the right post for, for, for a brand, making sure the image is right with the copy, you know, the call to action is correct and all that sort of stuff. And then within two hours, it's done and you're on to the next thing straight away. And there was nothing tangible to hold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was when almost as soon as I brought the agency to a close and kind of the, the, my main responsibilities of that uh, kind of subsided, I was looking for something that I could get my, my design hands on again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to create a product. I wanted to create something you could hold, something of quality, something that was authentic, and that I could bring everything that I'd learned from, from running the digital agency, um, whether it was like the tactics or the strategy of, of running digital marketing, or whether it was about community and all that sort of thing. So I just wanted to bring it into something that I had full control over. So I could decide exactly what product it was going to be. If I thought there was an opportunity that we could reach out to this group that is within our target audience and this is the way that we can communicate with them that i could just do it you didn't have to go through the red tape of of getting it signed off by a manager and all that sort of stuff Uh, i wanted in part to be able to say this is what i've learned this is how i've applied it and it's you know i've made it work um and 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 really kind of walk the walk rather than just selling it into clients yeah yeah i understand and so did you then, when did that manifest itself as jackets and motorcycles? So first it kind of started to manifest itself as um, an athletic wear brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's when we first started talking uh, and I was creating this brand that was again, very much focused on sustainable fabrics. That's um, right. 
uh, and all that sort of side of things. I, I didn't, I've never understood the idea of, I know how important it felt to me when I was up on stage, if I was um, giving a talk or a presentation or whatever, I felt confident when I knew that I looked as good as I could in, you know, so wearing, wearing a, a good suit made me, made me feel good. And that could be, it doesn't, for me, that didn't matter if it was business attire or, you know, gym gear. There, of course, there's, 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 there's that group of people who still go to the gym in, you know, their oldest stuff that they've got. And that's cool. Like, I totally get that. You're there to, you know, to, to do something. And, I, I, and I'm not ever going to the gym to, to show off. Um, I very much, I got into CrossFit and into Olympic weightlifting a lot, which, you know, you, know, you don't even have mirrors in those gyms, which I think is, is great. I understand from a form and a function point of view, it's great to have mirrors so you can see what you're doing. But I, I just, I, I love the fact that in those, in those gyms, you, you can't, and it's more about what you're doing and less about how you're making your physique look or, or whatever, you know, that's almost like a side effect of mm -hmm. being able to achieve those, those bigger lifts and all that sort of side things. So it was the same idea with the with the athletic wear that was what i kind of jumped into because i was very focused on that at the time um and also so my grandparents on my dad's side um they died before i was born but they both died of strokes um and that kind of genetically runs through that side of the family for me i had a genetic test and it showed all the markers of potential cardiac issues so exercise for me is an important part of my life from a health point of view with that kind of warning and so it was, it was very, very much on my mind at the time. And I started looking into it more, got to the process, you know, I'd, I'd had um, tracksuit bottoms, a hoodie and a, a t-shirt all designed and prototyped up, found the fabrics. I was working with a, a German manufacturer who made this stuff called Smart Wool. That was, um, uh, it was wool, but it also had um, treatments on it that were, that were non-toxic treatments, but helped it to be breathable, even further mm. breathable. Um, and all that side of things. But when I started looking into the marketing of that, that side of things is so influencer heavy, influencer mm -hmm. marketing, marketing mm -hmm. heavy. And again, being involved with skateboarding, the way that whole side of marketing works is that if you're a sponsored rider for a skate shoe company or a skateboard company, it's not, you're not wearing those, you're not, you're not wearing those shoes one day and then your competitors shoes the next because you've been paid. You're, you're probably on board with them for, you know, for at least a year mm -hmm. uh, and you're part of that community again. Uh, it just felt so uh, vacuous is the wrong word, but so kind of like surface level mm -hmm. with, the, with, with the athletic wear uh, that it was literally just throw your, your clothes over to someone, send them some money, they'll say how great it is. And then by, by tomorrow it's gone and they're on to the next thing. It just didn't, it, again, the authenticity wasn't there. Mm. Um, and so I had, for years, I'd had this picture of my great grandfather wearing his World War I uniform. And there's, he, you, you, you can see the family resemblance, not so much with me, but with, you know, through my dad. And so when I looked at his face, I could really see my dad's face as well. Um, and I, I had, so I brought the agency to a close. I'd been working on the athletic wear stuff for at least 18 months when I'd gotten to this place where I was like, I don't want to move ahead with this. I don't, it, it's not going to work for me. It's inauthentic. For me, it is inauthentic. It doesn't, doesn't fit what I'm trying to achieve. And I just basically locked myself in, uh, in, a, in an office room for a week. And I was just, I'm not leaving here until 
I've figured out what I'm going to do next because I don't want to go back to running the agency. And that's kind of all that I can see in front of me if I don't get this right. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to lose the last 18 months of what I've learned around clothing production, manufacturing and all that sort of things. And I love how it feels to take a concept through to reality. So, and I, and I can hold that and I can feel it. And it was when I had this picture of my great grandfather just happened to pop up on, 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 uh, on my email when I was looking through during that week. And because I'd been looking at um, t-shirts and menswear and all that sort of stuff, um, when I was scrolling through Pinterest, there was a picture of a dude on, uh, on a motorbike, full sleeve tattoos, really nicely fitting t-shirt. I said, man, that, that guy looks, that guy looks cool. And then I was, because I was also thinking about sustainability side of things. And I was thinking about how focused or how it, it's very easy to find women's wear that mm -hmm. is, you know, that is sustainable and is ethically manufactured and all that sort of stuff. And there really isn't a push for it with, with, with men's wear at all. And I was like, why is that? Is it because, for instance, you know, does it go back to the as simple as, you know, if you get a tote bag to go, to, you know, a reusable bag to use at the, the supermarket, it's unlikely to be designed to fit those kind of uh, men's ideals. Like it's, it's very unlikely to be black or whatever, you know, it's probably pink or blue. And, you know, there really is, has been like this, this focus on, uh, on it being something that women are interested in and, and it shouldn't be, it needs to be a global thing. So that kind of caught my attention. I was like, how can I uh, kind of promote the idea of sustainability within, within menswear and 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 make it cool um and that was where it all kind of the everything started to kind of piece together i was like what if i get a motorbike and convert it into being an electric motorbike that was the beginning of the process i very quickly found that my engineering knowledge was nowhere near good enough to take something that i'd never touched before and turn it into you know convert it into an electric motorbike but what i did do was uh, then that Kind of developed on the idea of taking motorbikes that really are bound from scrap heap you know they are done and restoring them and modifying them and giving them a second lease of, uh, of life um and then that they, again all these things kind of came together it's not this linear thing it is a very messy yeah uh, process but it's almost like a jigsaw coming together and and you you get that little kind of like that i get a feeling in my stomach when i when i feel it coming together that excitement being like yeah i can see I can see how that works. I can see how I can communicate that story um, and, and get other people excited. And yeah, so those, start, those things started to kind of get pieced together. Okay, cool. So, wow, that, was, that must have been a, uh, a fun and interesting time when you started to put the bikes together, coming, having been in the agency, uh, you know, just a couple of years prior. Yeah building bikes and then getting the the saying see the the concept of the jackets coming in as well and you didn't have a huge experience building bikes it was just it no. was it was something that came like a like a curiosity right like that sort of led you into it yeah i mean i had when i was 16 i had a a, a bike that was just a, an absolute wreck that i yeah, it, was, it was more my dad that worked on that than i did i just kind of watched from from the outside we never got it to the point that that you know it was a beautiful bike it ran mm -hmm. uh, but i don't think it had an exhaust it, you know like whatever it was a, you know it was a mess um but i did have that 
uh, initial experience with with with, yeah. with bikes that kind of like that curiosity yeah. but then kind of like and actually when I was before I went to university I ended up doing some clothing design for a small skateboard company okay. so I kind of have these these two experiences that have kind of come together yeah. now um, but no I'd, I'd never really I'd, I'd never built a motorbike before but um, I have always been surrounded by my dad's that 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 typical kind of DIY guy who he has everything you need some heat shrink to go around some wiring sure yeah, he's got yeah, that yeah. you know same as like whatever yeah whatever you can think of he's got i needed a metric set imperial set whatever you need everything yeah. everything i needed a torque wrench the other day to take the flywheel off the, the motorbike because we're having some problems with the electrics and he's just like oh yeah i haven't used this for 35 years but this will yeah. work you know mm -hmm. just and he knows exactly where it is and all that sort of stuff so i've been surrounded by that so i may not have done it myself but that idea that you are capable and you can do things yourself with your hands uh, yeah. has definitely always been a part of like my kind of makeup uh, growing up. Um, but yeah, so the, the whole reason I actually, I, I ended up with the motorbike that I, that I, that I was working on was I was supposed to, my wife, Amy and I had decided we were leaving Barre. We decided that, um, and that was supposed to happen April, 2020, because we could continue to live a very comfortable life in Barre. But we didn't want to get to the point where, you know, at the end of our lives, we were like, yeah, we chose comfort. We wanted to, we, we wanted to get out there and see what else was, was in the world. Um, and so we had decided to do that. Amy um, is hugely driven by food. And so mm -hmm. she, she wanted to, to train to be a chef. Mm -hmm. So she'd signed up for a cookery school over in Ballymaloo in the in southern part of Ireland in Cork. Um, it's a beautiful, like hundred acres organic farm and all that sort of stuff. So it really fits with, with the way that we both think. Um, and that was supposed to start in April, 2020. And of course, COVID hit right. you know, really in, in March and, and, and we got locked down. So we were literally just about to move. We'd started to pack up the house. I brought most of the agency to a side of things to a close all the consultancy and all that sort of stuff. So I was like, okay, it makes no sense for us to fly over to England just to be in lockdown and not be able to progress anything anything forwards i can't go visit the factories i can't speak to yeah we can speak on zoom but i can't see anyone i can't do any of the marketing the photography and all that sort of stuff of things so we're like right let's just stay in bahrain and and she was able to push her course back to august so that kind of pushed us back as to that was when we were going to leave um but i knew that i needed to be doing something i needed a project to be able to move things forwards i couldn't just sit and and, and just kind of wait things out so that was when I started to look for a motorbike over there. And I found a, a bike that was like, uh, I think it was like maximum, it would have been like 400 Aussie dollars. Mm -hmm. And it was, that thing had been maintained with a hammer and, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, clothes hanger. It was just awful. Uh, like the, yeah, the yeah. whole thing was just an absolute mess. But I mean, I, all I had was time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the idea was to vlog the process of that. Uh, and I did three blogs that are up on my, my personal Instagram account. And that was on the lead up to the moment where I started to tear the bike down and kind of like take it, to, take it apart. And although I still filmed and, and took photos, which I've been able to use then on, on, on the Barnfield account, I just didn't have the mental space to be doing the blog as well. Because again, mm -hmm. you know, I was talking about how I, I like that the gyms that I go to don't have mirrors because, yeah. it, it, you know, there's that self-conscious side and I like stepping away from that kind of like critique of uh, uh, you know that personal critique i did find the vlogs took a huge amount 
out of me from that perspective. Um, I'd be looking at it being like, oh, why did I, why did I breathe in that way? And God, my hair's not quite right. And I just say that, you know, I just, you know, it just ended up being such a, a personal critique um, at the time that I was like, this is not the focus. The focus is get the bike done, learn everything that I can from that. Um, and I just, I love it. I love that you can take a part off the bike that like that's in bad condition and you can just focus in on that one thing. Um, and you just, you should just improve it, improve it. And then by the time you're done, you know, you've got that part and your hands have fixed it and it's ready to go again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think there's a, there's a real joy in, mm-hmm. in, in that. There is. And I think the more digital we get in every other aspect of the culture, the more, for me anyway, the more important that whatever that is yep. becomes, whether it's whatever, it could be waxing up your surfboard before you go for a surf. It could okay. be whatever, yep. building sandcastles with your kids. But I think that, you know, uh, one of one of my heroes, Austin Cleon, he's a, he's a yep. writer and, artist, and an art, artist. He has a, um, in one of his books, I think it's, I think it's in Steel Like an Artist. He talks about his desk is set up and it's got two halves. The front half is analog and the back half is digital. And nice. most of his stuff's digital, right? But he's doing like 50% of his work on a cutting board. He's cutting out newspaper yeah. clippings. He's just over there making a mess. And then he'll come back and he'll write the blog post or he'll yeah. you know, tra- transfer it across. Yeah. Uh, so I, I 100% resonate with what you're saying. Now, yeah. quick question. Do you yeah. do all the photography uh, in the copywriting for the posts and everything yourself? Are you across every everything that we see? Today, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, there's one, uh, there's, there's, um, there's, a, there's a reel that I put up more recently where the concept was mine, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm incredibly lucky that Amy knows how to use a camera and, and, and can take some fantastic shots uh, as well. So I got her to take shots of me because I'm, I'm modeling the jacket. Oh, is that the Barnfield reel? Yeah, the one of me out in the field. I think like I she, shared that one. That's a, that's really cool. She, you guys made that. So, yeah, she took the photos, wow. uh, and then I agonized for a week, <laughs> for a week. Maybe the cloud should move like this. What if I cut this out? What if I do yeah. that? Oh, I needed to tie in with this exact piece of music because I wanted that 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 piece to be emotive. Yeah, I wanted to put across a feeling, and that that's again, I get so psyched when I'm like, yeah, this has come together. Like you know, this and. Even if you don't realize, for instance, that, that uh, a video is cut to the beat of a song or as a, you know, as a riff comes in or something like that, even if you're not musically inclined and you don't realize that, you don't spot it straight off, you will feel it. You still know, yeah. You'll feel yeah. it. You'll feel yeah. it. And, and it's that that comes together. You're like, that's a quality piece of work. Yeah. And if it wasn't quite on the beat, you'd be like, no, nah, it's okay. Yeah. Um, so I definitely, yeah, definitely still have the tendencies towards, you know, just working and working and working until a piece feels right to me. Uh, as I say, I do have the experience to understand there's no such thing as perfection and you've just got to, you, you do have to ship it. And for anyone that does look at that, um, I did just ship that because if you, I got everything, I worked on it for a week. If you read at the end of it, I talk about how the, the fabrics are sustainably produced. Sustainably is spelt wrong. Uh, and like it was after the fact that a buddy of mine got in touch and he was just like in fact he was someone who used to work for me 
Uh, and I used to be on them so hard to make sure they didn't spell anything wrong because it reflected poorly on the on the brand and all that sort of stuff. And there I, you know, there I went and did, did it, it myself. Yeah, yeah. But what, what you know, what, what can you do? I am literally T boy through to CEO through 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 that whole whole process. Yeah. And I've tried to, you know, funnily enough, at the beginning, talking about having a shield and all that sort of stuff, I almost wanted to hide from that a little bit. Um, and if you look at the earlier posts, I talk about we a lot. Mm-hmm. even though it's just me, you know, mm-hmm. it's I just remember. me. Yeah. And so, so I, I, I moved away from that pretty quickly. Cause again, like if it doesn't feel authentic to me, it doesn't make me happy. And, and I'm doing this because I, you know, I want to do something that makes me feel happy at the end of the day. I want to feel joy out of it. So, yeah. So I moved away from that and, and have been very much I, um, and, and putting that forward as, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the jackets. I'm doing the photography. Um, I'm doing the videography. I'm doing the, the, the copywriting, just everything though. Yeah. The whole thing is, uh, and that's it. The, the 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 great thing about having run the agency is that I was able to save myself a lot and 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 push the business forwards without having to invest a huge amount first because I was able mm-hmm. to put the website up, do the photography, yeah. do the copywriting. But there is a trade off there. Yeah. You know, as I say, like I'm now three years down into going into this business and I haven't sold a single thing. You know, which I realize is not not ideal. Um, and I often think about. It was Arnold Schwarzenegger that says he doesn't believe in plan B because if you, you know, if you have a plan B, you're not putting everything into plan A. And I'm aware of that whilst I'm still kind of like fulfilling work for clients with the agency and stuff like that, just to, you know, just to keep the bills paid. If I didn't have that, well, I'd have much more of a kick to get something out there mm. um, and get it done. But it, it just doesn't suit me at the moment. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to the time when I feel that, when I'm like, okay, no. Barnfield needs all of my attention now yeah. to, 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 to really push it forwards. And then yeah. I, can, I can let that stuff go. But it, it's an organic process. And as we say, it's messy. I dare say if you push out an order of 100 or 300 jackets, you're going to probably paint yourself into a position where it's going to need all of your attention. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's probably going to self-fulfill and then yeah. you'll be looking back and going, oh, I'd, I'd love to have those couple of days working on something else because yeah. I'm doing yeah, like 100 100%. hour weeks, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 talk, I talk a lot about how I want to run this business. I don't want it to run me because I don't mm. want to end up in the same place as I did. But I think I'm just, the way I'm wired is that I get so stoked on when these things come together that I'm chasing that feeling all the time. So um, yeah, as I am, better now and saying no okay i can feel myself on the verge of like not quite a breakdown but like you know my mental health is is suffering now because uh, you know everything is taking second seat to what i'm trying to achieve mm-hmm. uh but of course it can't always take second seat you know there are things that need your attention i mean mm-hmm. moving country in the middle of a pandemic mm-hmm. whilst always also trying to set up a business I totally underestimated just how uh, how much of an impact that would have. Even when you just like, well, okay, we've moved. You know, we've we've moved country now. That was hard enough. Now I need to find myself a car, you know, to to be able to get around and all that sort of stuff. And like because of the pandemic and then everything opening up, um, people who were who would have been looking for a car over the last year but haven't been because they've been on lockdown. Everyone's then looking for a car. So all the cars are more expensive. All the house rents are more expensive. Mm. Um, 
and it's not just the expensive, they're going fast as well. Mm. So there's, 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 there's a lot that we could have never predicted, um, but, uh, but definitely underestimated how difficult it would be to, to move country um, and still to, to run the business. But uh, it was definitely it was the right choice to make, um, even if England is quite a grey country you know we luckily we moved in in the summer we've, we've we've had some sunshine we've been able to get some get out and take some good photos and i've already met some amazing people that i never would have had the chance to meet if i was kind of isolated over in bahrain so, yeah yeah it's worked yeah. out so what's the uh what's kind of the next step big picture for you is it focus on manufacturing or are you still building network and community to get yourself further into that culture or What's sort of your, your, I guess, macro ideas or movements in the next, you know, few months or, or six months, something like that? Yeah. So over the next six months, I had gotten to the point where, because I found within two weeks, it, it messes up the, the timeline again, but we'd, we'd moved back to England in, in August last year. Amy went to do three months of the cookery school. But then because she's from, from Australia, even though we're married, she has to have a spouse visa to be in England. Right. And you can't apply for your spouse visa in the country. So we had to go back out to Bahrain and we okay. were there for three, okay. three months. Yeah, while yeah, she, yeah. So we were there for three months while she was, or actually four months while she was applying for the visa. England was in lockdown again, so it made sense. But, uh, you know, in terms of stability, it was a nightmare because we're, you know, we were in a service department, you know, just trying to move things forwards. But within two weeks of us moving back, going back to Bahrain in January, I got an ad on Instagram for a fashion studio that had just set up over in Bahrain um, and it was just yeah again everything happens for a reason right so I went in uh, I was able to check the place out and it's immaculate you know it's up in it's in, it's in the business district instead of being in some sketchy factory out of the back of nowhere eighth floor of a beautiful business building it's all bright glass all around the whole place the guys are treated well you know all the seamstresses that are there you know everyone's treated well I had full and open access to the place. I was able to take photos whilst we were working there, chat to the guys, get an idea and all that sort of stuff. So that really opened things up. But I got production for like kind of pre-production samples of the jacket made uh, whilst I was there. Since I've then come back to England with them, um, I sent one of them over to a photographer um, to, to get some lifestyle shots for me. Uh, and she was like, this is, a, this is a beautiful jacket, but it doesn't fit on anyone who I would expect it to fit, who would normally wear a large, doesn't fit. And I was thinking, you know, like, I don't know what's going on there because we'd gone through the whole process of taking the medium and you do what's called grading, where you uh, increase various parts by various percentages to give you your, your small, if you're going down, your large, medium, extra large. So it should, they, they should have been right. But we found that all of them had been made an inch too small on the chest. Mm. um so that's really kind of like a, it was kind of two steps forwards and one step back um how I'm many stoked. were in that run only four so i, oh, I made okay. one yeah. i made one, one of, of each, each. Size. yeah but that's still i mean that's still about two thousand pounds worth of work to get you to that yeah that, yeah that point. I understand. um so there's no question that these these things cost there's huge barriers to entry god when i look at running my digital agency what did i need i needed myself i needed a computer you know, the barriers to entry to that are so low. It amazes me at how many clothing brands, successful clothing brands are out there and new brands considering the barriers to entry to getting it right. But anyway, so, so those have all been made too small. So what I wanted to do was events where I kind of um, brought people in 
um, you know, paid for their coffees or whatever and got them to try on the jacket and then I could get feedback and their input and all that sort of stuff. I don't want to do that now with these jackets that are the wrong size because I'm just going to be, you know, putting that forward as a caveat at the beginning of every conversation. Yeah. Like, sorry, they're, they're, they're too small, but what do you think? So, yeah, so I've been pushed back about six to nine months with that because I need to go through that whole process again. But so whilst I'm doing that, um, I'm still building the community because these jackets can be sold by pre-order. So you need to front load all, your, all of your marketing and your community growth so that you have people to actually speak to and to, mm-hmm. to get on board and to have mm-hmm. enough time to tell your story to them. So mm-hmm. that they're bought into more than just the jacket. They're bought into the whole idea uh, behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah. So the two things are, yeah, it's continuing to build community and to, to having those conversations. What I'm trying to do is that every single person that follows the account I get in touch with them and have those one-on-one conversations with them, thanking them to, for, for following. It's kind of that I picked that up off uh, uh, the, the Airbnb guys about the whole um, do things that don't scale mm-hmm. and, and trying to look at it. Yeah, trying to look at a community of one and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like again, like from that, you know, it, it seems like it, it's not just a marketing ploy. Like I'm stoked to have these conversations because they are these people are part of my my community. Like Jeremy. you know they're. I want to be part of that community. So it, it, it doesn't feel like a chore doing it. I really enjoy having those one-on-one conversations. So yeah, so it's that, that continuing to build community, um, uh, continuing working with Thomas, Last Maps, on, on, on the piece of art um, and kind of developing those ideas and just figuring out how can I communicate more what we're doing. Um, one of the, actually, uh, one of the people you know, Harvey, from uh, what was mm-hmm. Victory Visuals, worked with him we went up to york to meet thomas the artist and we we've started to put a video together really kind of like just telling the world what he does and then so we can communicate that more and that was that was rad that was that was amazing just on a on a real small level to have been able to bring the three of us together as a small community and harvey really got along with thomas and uh, you you know as if they'd known each other for years because they're all part of the same community with that eye for building and creating yeah. 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 I think that's a, that's a really important concept. And you mentioned Seth Godin earlier on mm-hmm. in this conversation. And he has a great concept for any, any niched business, any small, you know, one, any of these businesses that are built around the smallest viable audience, like, like anything that we're talking about here, really. And the, to, so so it came from Chris Anderson's work on the long tail. Yeah. Seth was talking about this long tail concept and the internet blasting everything into these little micro communities, which it has. And so how do we go into one of these communities and build something great? And yeah. his only two rules were rule number one, build pillar content for the niche and rule number two, connect the niche. So yeah. every time I get stuck, I'm like, all right, and it's worked so many times. Like, how can I create something meaningful, like an event, content, yeah. podcast, whatever it is for my group of people? And then how can I connect those group of people together laterally so that they build yeah. a relationship, which is exactly what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, the, the, this week, I'm uh, starting my first interview for a podcast oh cool um on that side of things so i'll I'll let you know how that one goes 
And then long term as well, you talk about events. I love the idea of being able to pull these people together who are meeting digitally uh, and bring them together for for an event. Like with with Amy having moved over to um, cooking and especially baking, I love the idea of just like doing a weekend where we, you know, even if it's 10 people, we get, we get us all together, we go hiking, maybe she teaches them how to make sourdough, and uh, we all make our own sourdough loaf, then we're just chilling around a, you know, around a fire, like getting to know each other, you know, good times, basically, you know, and then maybe uh, there's uh, uh, one of the guys that I met really early on, this guy Frederick over in Sweden, you know, builds these beautiful cafe races, you know, they are next level, um, such attention to detail. And he's just the, the nicest, most genuine dude. Like, I'd love to be able to bring people over geographically as well, bring him over from Sweden. Uh, and you just know that they're going to get along. And maybe he could do a talk about his experiences of running that business. You know, he went from a chef working in award-winning kitchens um, to, you know, to building his motorbikes. And then that same kind of like award-winning process yeah, has, has, yeah. has carried through that. Wow. You know, what's he learned from that, you know, and, and, and just sharing that knowledge and bringing people on, in on the journey, yeah. you know, as I say, from a selfish point of view, I get to learn. I'm stoked on that. But I, lo- I just love that idea of bringing people together. Yeah. 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 We need more of that anyway, don't we? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, Mark, this has been amazing. I, I think I'd definitely like to get you back on again and, and talk yeah. about um, the jackets for in sure. the next stage. I'd love to hear how this unfolds. I think one of the cool things I've noticed from even in the conversation uh, you know, and we'll share this podcast out, but even now I'm more bought into the story. So I'm, I'm kind of keen okay. to see what happens next. And I want to find out about the lining and, you know, it's yep. interesting as you hear it unfold and hear more of the challenges that you face, actually it's I'm further emotionally engaged in what you're doing, yep. which is, which is cool, right? That's the whole point. Yeah. And I think this is it. This is the whole, like, like I was saying, like kind of like hiding in the spotlight, that's, you know, conversations like this allow more of the detail to come out and mm-hmm. uh, and you know it's very difficult you know instagram uh, all those social media platforms you know the algorithm just you know just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and you know it's all based around you know the, the money that you're spending on those platforms and so it makes it very difficult to actually get your story out there uh, yeah. you know in front of the right right people so the more opportunities there are to do that, um, you know, that, that's that's also you talk about my macro goals. Again, that's it. Like what are the platforms that are going to work? For me, me to be able to spread that message and to connect with more people that's part, yeah. part of the goal as well yeah beautiful anything else you'd like to add in no not at all apart from just if, if, if people are out there thinking about doing their own thing yeah it's it's you know it's it's tough but the joy that you can get out of it um you know is it's very it, it's difficult to compare to anything else especially if you're in any way uh entrepreneurial minded just get out there and and, and do it there's there's never been a better time with the digital platforms that we have, you know, mm. um, to, to be able to get your message out there. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. All right, Mark. Well, I'll put your, let us know actually your social handles and that sort of stuff. I will put it in the show notes, but where's the best spot for people to check out your work? So to check out Barnfield Customs, it is literally at Barnfield Customs on Instagram. Um, and I send out an email every two weeks with kind of like the the progress, what's happened over those last two weeks, and then also kind of inspiring links. Okay, it's bikes. I think bikes am I, or off grid or. Am I not subscribed to that? I thought I did. I, I don't know, John. You should be. 
Oh, I'm pretty sure I did. I'll double check. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's kind of like off-grid living, um, nature sustainability, inspiring links about around creativity, photography. But then, yeah, as I say, there's also the progress there as well. So uh, that's a great way to for me. I really enjoy putting those together because it yeah. kind of consolidates everything that I've been looking at, yeah. and then allows me to communicate on that that one-on-one uh, yeah. level with a bit more bit more depth and and detail. So yeah. Barnfield Customs on Instagram. And then really that's where I am active. So also my personal account, Mark J. Warman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where I kind of uh, rant a little bit more and kind of speak, speak to the camera about uh, difficulties that I've been facing. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I'll put those cool. in the show notes and thank you again. It was a. No, a thank huge... you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it again soon.